Bounce and blow out. Eighth inning, 10-3. Bases are loaded for Verlander, who waits out a real pitch. He swings, and it's a high fly ball. Deep center field. It is gone. Home run. And a huge backflip to celebrate. All right, Ben, start the show already. What is up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Flippin' Bats, presented by Mattress Firm, who has their own beautiful locker here on our set. What another great episode. We have tensions are running high across Major League Baseball. We're coming down the stretch. We got the playoff race heating up. We got drama in the dugouts. We got it all, and we're going to talk all about it off the top. We're going to round the bases, and then we got our guests joining us, Mike Yastrzemski of the San Francisco Giants, an absolute legend joining us on this episode. So I am pumped to get to that in a little while. And then, of course, this week in Shohei Otani News, my favorite segment, then the Twitter poll that you guys participated in. And then I got a fun segment at the end. Look, things are heating up. Playoff pictures starting to shape up. We kind of know how things are going to shape up. But really what has happened here is some of the trades have really impacted us down the stretch and really impacted some teams so what i wanted to do is get to some of the most impactful trades the top five most impactful trades that we saw at the trade deadline so we'll get to that in a little while but right off the top rounding the bases first up we got to talk about these playoff races all of them every single one the national league the american league the nl east it is insane it's insane Let's start with the American League. The American League wild card race. Most of these divisions are wrapped up in the American League. You're going to have the Astros win the West. You're going to have the White Sox win the Central. You're going to have the Rays win the East. They're all wrapped up. But what is not wrapped up is the American League wild card race. I, it's a three-team race. Red Sox, Yankees, Blue Jays. Those three teams, all from the AL East, are right there neck and neck. I know the A's and the Mariners are both actually fairly close, but these three teams from the AL East are just beating up on each other. So here's where we stand right now. The Red Sox playing well again, holding that one spot down, a game and a half up on the number two team. The number two team is the Blue Jays, who are holding down that number two wildcard spot right now with the New York Yankees one half of a game behind them, a half, 0.5 games, right on their heels. So that's what the AL wildcard picture looks like with, so right now what we have is the A's and the Mariners playing each other out in the the West Coast. We're not really talking about these teams. The A's are two games back of the Blue Jays. The Mariners are three games back. Do I think either one of those is going to get there? No. Is it a chance? Yes. It is very much so a chance. So Red Sox, Blue Jays, Yankees, all neck and neck. And and they're all playing each other soon. The Yankees and the Red Sox at the end of this week have a three-game set. They're last of the season. When when you look at series, 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 when you look at series throughout a year, you pinpoint the really important ones. This one's circled. Red Sox, Yankees, last time of the year. You knew it would mean something. We didn't know what, and now we do know what it means. I mean, it's all coming down to this. If the Red Sox sweep the Yankees, the Yankees are done. Done. They're not going to make the playoffs. And vice versa, really, I think if the Yankees can go and sweep the Red Sox, the Red Sox are probably done. That's how important, that's how much this series matters. It's a big swing series. 
The Blue Jays are in the midst of playing the Rays. I have no idea what's going to happen in this division. I had my prediction a few weeks ago. I did it right here on this show. Who's going to be in the playoffs? I said Yankees, Blue Jays. I'm going to stick with that. I'm going to stick with the Yankees and the Blue Jays. I feel better about the Blue Jays than I do the Yankees, but that's what I'm going to stick with. But that race is heating up onto the, uh, onto the National League. Oh, what are, I mean, what are we going to what are we going to talk about with the Cardinals? Nobody's really talking about how hot they have gotten. The Cardinals have won nine games in a row, propelled themselves from, they had like a, a 7% chance of making the playoffs, and now they have an 80, 85% chance of making the playoffs. They're three games up on anybody. So when you look at the National League wildcard picture, the number one spot is wrapped up. It's either going to be the Giants or the Dodgers. Whoever does not win the NL West will be the number one seed by far. Both those teams are going to win over 100 games. But the number two spot, it was looking like the Padres for a while. And then, you know what? It was, oh, my God, the Reds, they came out of nowhere. And now it's, oh, my God, the Cardinals, they came out of nowhere. So the NL wild card, I think it's going to come down to the last few days as well. Um, you know, both of these races seem really, really exciting. So you have the Cardinals three games up on the Reds and the Padres one game behind the Reds. So the Reds three games back, the Padres four games back. So keep an eye out on the NL West race as well. And then these two teams aren't really fighting for a wild card spot, but the NL East, got to talk about it. The Braves and Phillies right there. The Braves had a huge lead. That lead is gone. It's now three games or less. The Phillies are right on their heels. So these wild card spots, look, I, I, I have no idea. I have no idea how it's going to shape out, but all of them are super exciting. The races are heating up. It's really dramatic. I love drama. So coming down the stretch, we have two weeks left. Two weeks left. And things are really heating up, which is awesome. But speaking of teams that are heating up, that have been hot for months now, we got to talk about the Milwaukee Brewers and just how incredible they are. I mean incredible. When we talk about elite teams, the Brewers need to be in that conversation. And I just feel like because it's Milwaukee, they don't get the love they deserve from a lot of people. But I'm tired of that. This team is, is better than, than they're a top three team in the league. I've had them a top three team in my power rankings the last few weeks. But we need to talk about them in depth and, and why they are so good and why they're underlooked. When you look at the main teams in the league, you look at the Dodgers. We talk a lot about what the Giants are doing. We talk about the Rays. We got to talk about the Brewers. In May, it was right around May 20th, the Brewers were 21-23, and 23, under 500. They made a trade that nobody really saw coming with the Tampa Bay Rays. You don't, you don't trade with the Rays. You always lose. They didn't lose it. They acquired Willie Adamas to be their shortstop. It transformed their entire season. They were 21-23 and 23 at the time they, they acquired Willie Adamas. They are now, since then, 70 and 36. Since that day, they are 70 and 36. They have over a 10 game lead in the NL Central with a surging Cardinals team that we just talked about. They have a 10 plus game lead over them. That's incredible. This team is the real deal. Then they acquire Eduardo Escobar at the, tra at the actual trade deadline. 
and just get another good bat for that lineup. So this lineup is good. They put up runs. But you know who doesn't put up runs? The other teams when they're playing them. And this is why this team is so good. This is why I have them predicted to do so well in the playoffs. Corbin Burns. I don't even know who the ace of this staff is. Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, I I don't know. Corbin Burns is probably pitching like that this year. He has a 2.34 ERA on the season. One of the Cy Young frontrunners right now, him and Scherzer, neck and neck at this point. Brandon Woodruff, 2.55 ERA. So they're one and two guys. Look at that. And then their three guy, Freddie Peralta, 2.65. I've said this so many times. Pitching wins in the playoffs. I've seen it time and time again. The playoffs is a different beast. It's a different animal. I'm telling you. Pitching wins. And nobody does it better. You can argue the the Dodgers rotation. Yeah, but I'll take this guy. I'll take these guys. 10 times out of 10, I'm taking the Brewers rotation. Those top three, no thank you. I do not want to face them in the playoffs. And then let's look at the back end of the bullpen, which is so important. Devin Williams, their eighth inning guy, 2.55 ERA. And then you get to the ninth, you have Josh Hader with a 1.34 ERA on the year. So you have three dominant starters. That's what you need in the playoffs. Give me three guys that can start games. They have three. They're all dominant. Then you need an eighth and ninth inning guy. This team is built for success, and this is exactly why I tweeted out on on August 20th, I got the Milwaukee Brewers winning the National League pennant. There, I said it. Not only do I stand by that, I, I, I would double down on it if I can. I said that a while ago, and I still believe that. The Milwaukee Brewers are going to win the NL pennant and represent the National League in the World Series. And their pitching is a huge, huge reason why. And we need to start putting some respect on the Milwaukee Brewers. Because they're the real deal. But heading on over to third, here's the drama I was talking about. I mentioned off the top of the show, we got drama. And it's with the San Diego Padres. And it happened this past week in the dugout. Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis got into it. Got into it. Manny Machado was seen on a fan's phone camera, yelling, it's not about you. Screaming it. It's not about you. Throwing a few expletives in there. It's not effing about you. Over and over and over. So here's a little context. The Padres, scuffling. I mean, scuffling. At the beginning of August, so just a month and a half ago, The Padres were three and a half games behind the Dodgers, and they were six and a half games up on the Cardinals. Well within the the grasp of the wild card was well within their reach. Fast forward to this week, where the implosion has happened over the last month and a half. Where they were three and a half behind the Dodgers, they're now 20 and a half games behind them. 20 and a half and four games behind the Cardinals for that wild card spot. Things have gone off the rails. And it happened again this week and it it happened in the dugout. And now things are really off the rails. So Tatis, early in the game, you know, Fernando Tatis, uh, an NL MVP favorite 
Um, young guy, obviously, at the plate, strikes out, disagrees with the call, disagrees with the umpire. Wasn't happy. Starts arguing. Really gets into it. Gets in a position to potentially get thrown out. His manager, Jason Tingler, comes out to argue for him, ends up getting thrown out, protecting his guy. Manny Machado, when he gets back in the dugout, goes off on him. It's not about you. We're in the middle of a playoff race. We aren't playing well. We need you. Why are you about to get ejected? What are you doing? What are you doing? This isn't about you. It's about the team. That's what that argument is about. And, and look, I totally agree with Manny Machado here. Somebody needs to step up and be a leader. Somebody. Because what, what Tatis did, I love Fernando Tatis, but he's very young. He's becoming the face of baseball, but he needs to realize. He needs to realize that it's not about him. Sure, you disagree with the call. The team needs you. Manny Machado became that guy. Out in the open. For everybody to see. Now, let me state one thing. This, this became a huge, huge, huge deal. I don't think it is. This happens so often. I can't tell you how many times when I was playing that people would, would confront each other, hold each other accountable. Oftentimes, it happens in a locker room. Oftentimes, that's where it happens. But this didn't. This needed to happen in the moment. It needed to happen right then and there, and that's why Machado did it, and I think he did the right thing. But this happens all the time. People holding their teammates accountable in a clubhouse, in a dugout. I love what I saw here out of Manny Machado. I don't, it might be too little too late for the Padres, but I, I love what I saw out of him. That was, that, that was leadership. That was, that was reining a guy in and saying, hey, this isn't about you. But what a, what, a total, what a total collapse for the Padres. If they do not make the playoffs, I know this is year two for Jace Tingler, and, and I know he's had two winning seasons. If they don't make the playoffs, this is a fiasco. And I think I, I, I could see him gone. I really could. This is a fiasco of a year for the Padres. And if they don't get in, oh, man, some, something's going to change. But just another, another tough week and an implosion in the dugout for the San Diego Padres. Things are, things are not good down there in San Diego. But let's move on. Round and third and heading home. Let's move on to the San Francisco Giants. Speaking of things that were not good, this is the contrary. Let's talk about the San Francisco Giants and just how good they have been. A team of destiny, it seems. They, they have been in first place for most of the entire season at this point. I know there's like a day here where it happened in early on, but for the majority of the season, the San Francisco Giants have been the best team in the NL West and the best team in all of baseball. How? How has this happened? Well, one, it just seems like a team of destiny. Two, they do all the right things. They pitch well, they hit well, they score enough runs, and they pitch really, really well. That's what they do. But it really got me to thinking, what, like, was, were we this wrong? Like, how, how is this possible? How are the Giants doing this? Because I didn't foresee this coming to start the year. Quite the contrary, actually. Dodgers, Padres, that's going to be the NOS. I couldn't have been more wrong. You know who else couldn't have been more wrong? Las Vegas. I looked at their win total. Their projected win total on the season was 75 and a half wins. 75 and a half. We have two weeks left to go in the season. 
They're going to reach 100 wins this week. It's going to happen this week. I mean, I, I don't even... This win total is so far off. And I, I looked at some other teams. Who was around them? The Arizona Diamondbacks. Their projected win total? 75 and a half. Well, Vegas, Las Vegas, who isn't wrong often. There's a lot of big buildings in Vegas that they didn't build with their own money. They built with everybody else being wrong. They're always right. Had the Giants and the Diamondbacks being even teams, having the same win total this year. The Diamondbacks are a bottom three team in all of baseball this year. The Giants are the best team in baseball this year. (laughs) It's incredible. And that's what leads me to believe, look, this team does all the little things, right? They pitch well. They play good defense. They hit well. But they're a team of destiny, it feels like. And then they go into these big series where all year people are saying, yeah, you know, are they really, are they really this good? I know, that we, I know we say they're good, but now they have to play the Dodgers in a huge series. They have to. And they're going into Los Angeles, and there's no way. Like, they're just not as good. And then they beat them. They beat them in the season series, 19 games. They won the season series against them. Are they as good on paper? No. Is anybody? Probably not. But this game isn't played on paper. It's played on the field. And the Giants, a team of destiny, keep on winning. And it is incredible. And I want to learn more about that. And who better to bring in right now than the starting right fielder for the San Francisco Giants, Mike Yastrzemski. Mike, thank you so much for joining me, man. Thanks for having me. Of course. One thing we do with all our guests right off the top, there's a leaderboard, some trivia, some career questions, and some trivia. Nick Castellanos is at the top. And Trey Trey Mancini, a former former teammate of yours, is actually close to the top as well. So you ready for this? You got 60 seconds. All right. All right. Let's do it. Who is your first career home run off of? Um, Andrew Kashner. First career hit against? Uh, I believe it was Luke Weaver. Yep. First career strikeout against? Uh, Was it Clark? Yeah. Uh, Where'd you bat in your MLB? uh, Your first MLB at bat, where'd you bat in the order? Uh, Seven. What was your jersey number for your debut? Five. Who batted behind you in your MLB debut? Uh, Steven Duggar. Uh, No. Where was your first away game? (laughs) Uh, That was Miami. Yeah. Who were the two starting pitchers in your MLB debut? Um, oh man, I don't know who pitched for us, but it was Taylor Clark and Jeff Samarja. I don't know. Uh, longest career hitting streak. How many games was it? Oh God. One. (laughs) 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 Probably, I'll go with uh, seven. No, your time's up. It was nine. (laughs) You you also said Steven Duggar so confidently that I was like, wait, was it Steven Duggar hitting behind you? (laughs) Oh, man. Um, So you missed that one. Who was it? Who was hitting behind me? It was Brandon Crawford. Uh, See, that just doesn't make sense. And Andrew Suarez was the starting pitcher for you guys in the debut. Yeah. So, all right. Mike, I, I have to ask you, this Giants team this year, 
what is it, man? Like Vegas had you guys predicted at 75 and a half wins coming into this year. You're going to hopefully get to 100 wins this week. What is it about this team in a nutshell? That is why are you so good? Um, well, I think the first thing is we have players on our team. We have all-star caliber players that are playing like all-stars. We have a group of veterans who, you know, people counted out. They said they were kind of heading the end of their career. And we've seen that that's not the case. And number one, I think this is great for baseball because the way that the game has been working lately is it's get the young talent and get these new guys into the game and kind of create all this new buzz around the game. Well, how about the guys that they already know and love continue to produce and play well instead of trying to to get these guys out of the game and end their careers and saying they're too old they're you know they've done it for too long well we're seeing that's not the case yeah. like these guys are still so good and potential hall of famers for a reason <clears throat> um secondly i think it's just we have so much fun there is a it's such an unselfish group nobody cares about their stats, where they're hitting, how much playing time they get. It's all about we want to win and, you know, just kind of we don't have that chip on our shoulder like we want to prove people wrong, but you can get that feeling around us that we're there to win a baseball game and that's it. Coming into this season and spring training, be honest with me, did you expect this? Did you see this happening? No, I don't, I don't think anybody can – say that when you go into a season even with the best team on paper in the world you're not going to be like oh i expect to win 100 games because <laughs> uh, the league's so talented the league is so good uh it's it's such a long season that anything can happen where guys get hurt you don't know how they're going to respond and that's another thing that we've done incredibly is that we've had these guys that have come up from the minors that we've traded for that you know whatever situation is arose the person who's come in has stepped up and it's been so fun to watch. And um, it's really been just an awesome team to be a part of. How much of this is Gabe Kapler? Cause I feel like he was kind of written off when, when he goes to Philly, he took over a team that had some talent and it just didn't go well. And he was so analytical at the time. And it was, you know what? He's not a fit here. See ya. He goes to San Francisco and he's now taking over there. And it's, it seems perfect how much of this success is due to him a lot um he's also the the type of manager that you feel how much he truly cares about the team and each individual player where it's not you're not just an, a name and a number on a sheet of paper where he looks at it and he says oh you know okay this is the right move this is how it goes he'll sit down and talk to you and you know ask you how you're feeling ask you you know where you're at mentally trying to figure out if you understand your role on the team and if you don't and you have questions, he's super approachable. And those types of things that make you feel like you're a part of something special. And when you have somebody who's in a leadership op, uh, leadership role and they let you know upfront, very honest, then you can buy into your role. And that makes everything a lot easier, a lot more fun. And you have really no worries about, you know, when am I going to play? Where am I going to play? How am I going to do this? Yeah. And a lot of the stress of the game is just taken off you in that sense. And I, you, you said something that I feel like we, we push more and more towards sometimes. And it feels like oftentimes baseball players are viewed as numbers on a piece of paper. Uh, certainly by owners when it comes time for new contracts. Certainly a lot of teams it looks that way. 
Um, and I've heard, you know, now from you talking about it and from a, a few guys I've had from the Rays on, they, you know, they, they feel the same way that we're not numbers on a piece of paper. We can go out and have fun. There's something to that. Uh, there's something to not being numbers on a piece of paper and feeling like you can be yourself and not have to worry. And I feel like that's not always the case, right? Yeah, I don't I don't think it's necessarily been the case for a lot of sports, you know, because if you think about running an organization, it's probably really hard to say, like, yeah, I'm going to uproot this human being's life and transition them to <laughs> some <laughs> other state or, you know, like some other city. And like, you probably have to put yourself in a really tough mental situation to uproot someone and to do that. So I'm sure that from either a managerial aspect of that, like that's hard to do. So I think it's really impressive when somebody steps in and says that I understand the human side of this and the EQ side of it and trying to say, you know, let's make people feel comfortable. Let's make them feel happy and see if they can perform even better than we thought they could. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, that's not always the case. That's pretty cool to hear. What, how much was the trade deadline getting Chris Bryant how important was it to you guys? Because honestly, since the beginning of the year, you guys have been, in my opinion, the best team in baseball. Um, and it just seems like from the outside, Chris Bryant was the perfect fit. How much has that addition at the trade deadline meant for you guys? He's been huge. Um, to And also when we got him at the time, Longo was still banged up. And um, we, were, we were kind of shuffling guys back and forth from – third base to second base to outfield and to have KB come in and be like, yeah, I'll, I can be that guy. I can play third. I can play center. I can play right, left. Uh, he's apparently working at second base now. I like these are, it's just incredible Jesus. to have somebody who will come in and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm super cool with playing whatever place I need to and to help this team win. And, you know, I think it was a big piece in Scott Harris, obviously having a, relationship with him with Chicago so he knew what type of guy he was and that just gave us an absolute weapon in the middle of our lineup and he's also a really good dude which is an absolute bonus that's awesome he's he's certainly the super the super utility guy but one thing you guys don't need is a right fielder so and and if you look at all the all the stadiums all the stadiums in all of major league baseball Mike right field at Oracle I, I feel like has to be the toughest. What is like when when you first go out there and you first start playing right field at Oracle, what did you have to figure out? What have you had to learn about playing right field there? Uh, the first thing is that you will never understand a bounce off that wall. You can, <laughs> you can never, you can never play it to where you think it's going to be. It's because it's not going to go where you think it's going to go. There's like, there's letters that create different bounces. There's padding. There's different shaped bricks. There's different angles. There's uh, there's everything you could possibly imagine on that wall. And so a lot of it has to do with trusting your center fielder because if it hits in the gap part of the wall, it's going to kick towards the center fielder. If it hits on the other side of the wall, it's going to kick almost like down the line. So you have to trust that your center fielder is busting his tail to get over there if it's going to hit that other spot. And so then the other possibility is if a guy hits a line drive hard enough off the top of it, the second baseman might be picking it up because you're too oh, close God. to the wall in order to get the kick. Like there's just like, it's so chaotic. And then you bring the wind into it. Uh, then you bring the sun into it. So 
it's it's just like an absolute battle with that thing constantly but i got lucky that we had a a big wall at vandy when i was playing left field there and they had a weird triangle in it it was like 30 feet tall awkwardly shaped and so um i had a little bit of practice and um i i guess some people say there's like a little bit of playing awkward walls in my blood so i think that uh, <laughs> that might help too <laughs> how much time have you spent in that outfield pregame just banging balls off the wall trying to figure it out i gave up on trying to figure it out <laughs> probably the middle of last year when we had no fans in the stands and it was like really easy to go out and not kind of have to worry about anything other than getting your work in because right. you don't have to worry about like hitting a fan with a ball by accident or any, you know, being yelled at and all this stuff. So I think uh, it was halfway through the year where I was like, man, you can't learn everything about this wall. You just have to kind of accept it for what it is and be ready for anything. And that's the way that you play that wall is you're just ready for anything to happen because it can. (laughs) That's great. All right. So we established, uh, the super utility guy. I want to ask you about the alpha of the team. And this came up the other day. Uh, Brandon Belt, wearing the C on his chest, post-game says, yeah, I'm the alpha of the team. I needed to... Is, is this true? Obviously, it was a joking thing. But would you say Brandon Belt is the alpha male of the San Francisco Giants? For, for the sanity of this team, I will say yes. You know, I, I, I think... I think this team needs him to believe that because he <laughs> has proven how good he is when he has been self-labeled the captain. And I'm gonna I'm gonna keep riding the wave with him. You know, like I'm just gonna hang on to that that shoulder and let him carry us through as far as he can because it's it's been unbelievable to watch. Like for some reason, ever since he said that, he's been absolutely dominant. He can't yeah. not hit a ball hard. Everything's a rocket. And he's given us a lot of laughs, so we're we're gonna enjoy it while we can. I mean, even that even the day he put that duct tape C on his chest, he had like two bombs, I think, or a bomb. And then the very next day, he does it again. Um, I, I honestly feel like there's something to just like the confidence behind it, because as you know, and I know, baseball is so mental. It is so mental, and I think just doing mm-hmm. that just gives you confidence. And he's been on a tear since. I, I think that's got to be it. Also, did you see the the kid that caught his home run ball taped a C onto his cat onto his shirt? <laughs> the not. last homer that belt hit. You got to go look it up. It's hilarious. So the kid, like, I think he's wearing a JT Snow shirt. Like you're expecting him to wear this like Brandon Belt shirt. Like huge fan tapes a C onto his shoulder yeah. like Belt. But he it was just like a JT Snow shirt, and he makes this like leaping catch to to <laughs> catch Belt's home run the other day. It was it was really funny. I feel like this team, I, I feel like this team is a team of destiny. There's so much uh, awesome stuff going on, and this wasn't expected, and, and you're winning so many games. So the question I have for you, if there's someday a movie made about this team, who's playing you? Uh, I hope it's Mark Wahlberg. You know, I, I hope that movie gets made early enough before he kind of leaves his prime of his career, and that'd be super cool. But, yeah, that's like... That's one of those things that I always say, like, there's two people in my life that I would fanboy up about and, like, completely panic and not know what to say. And it's <laughs> Tom Brady and Mark Wahlberg. That's it. And I I would just be like, hey, uh, ni- ni- nice to meet you. Yeah. Just <laughs> one of those, like, panic moments. 
So I, I would hope it'd be Wahlberg. That'd be you my know, choice. I have the weirdest story about meeting somebody famous that like I, I I've been around it my whole life, so it's not too many people don't like make me get starstruck. But I had the weirdest. And it, one. it wasn't Shohei. It wasn't. No, it wasn't Shohei because I practiced <laughs> for hours on how I was going to shake his hand, and, and it went fine. But so I I'm a huge yeah. Cowboys fan just because of my dad. And I guess just being, I, I was at the Super Bowl years ago when it was in Houston and Jerry Jones and the Cowboys were like a big part of, they had like this pregame thing. And I got to meet Jerry Jones. Dude, I don't know what happened to me. I'm not like one as a Cowboys <laughs> fan. I don't even, I think the guy's been detrimental over the last however long, but I went up to him and I said, Jerry Jones, it's nice to meet you. I'm a big fan of the Cowboys. Thanks for everything. I'm like, thanks for everything. They haven't done shit since I've been a Cowboys fan since I was born. What am I thanking him for? You just, <laughs> like the, you just completely panicked. I just panicked and said, thanks for everything. I'm like, oh, God. What, uh, now he's, what, did, what did I even say? Um, so, you just inflated the ego. You inflated the captain is what you did. <laughs> just inflated the captain of the Death Star down there. Um, yeah. Speaking of, of this team, the rivalry that one the Dodgers Giants is one of the best rivalries in baseball history but for years there it's taken a back seat it, it feels like from the outside it's back now on the inside does it feel like that I think it does but I also think that rivalries are so different on field versus off field because on field you can't control what the other team does at any given moment and so to be so focused on like the rivalry and to constantly see like, all right, what the Dodgers do today? What the Dodgers do today? Right. You know, what happened? Or it's like, that would be so exhausting to be having to try to worry about that. Also trying to hit a hundred mile an hour fastball when you step up to the plate that day. So it's like, I, I can only do so many things at once. <laughs> and I think that that's how, <clears throat> that's how most of it goes in the clubhouse is sure. After the game's done, we'll, we'll take a look and see where, where everything fell that day. But it's not this like die hard, everything focuses on it because then we wouldn't be able to do our jobs. But yeah. it's fun for the fans. I think it's it's been amazing, you know, and obviously the energy that we get in those games is completely different. Um, you know, when we have that huge crowd and everybody's going nuts and it feels like a playoff game every time we play them, regardless, you know, regardless of what year it is. It's it's really cool to be a part of. Yeah. What, what makes this team so clutch, you think? I, I You look on paper – especially before the season, you look on paper and the Dodgers are the best team in the world. Maybe even the best team we've seen on paper in a long time. Um, and, and now you guys have won the season series against them. You, um, you're done playing them. It just feels like this team is super clutch, just gets it done at the right time. Is there like a clutch factor to this team? Like what makes you guys so clutch? I think everybody's willing to do their part and, we have so many guys in the lineup that we trust and are that we believe can get it done. So there's no pressure when you're up in that situation. It's not like, man, I have to get this done or it's over. It's yeah. like, all right, Hey, just have a good at bat, move it on to the next guy. Cause he'll get it done. So there's a ton of stress that gets taken off and all that pressure seems to just kind of go away. And you don't even notice those moments. You don't even have like a, a big moment feel. You don't get those jitters. It's like, Hey, just put together a good at bat, you know, work a walk, get a hit, whatever, you know, just get it to that next guy so they can do the big moment. Yeah. Well, it hasn't always been 
easy for you. It hasn't always been a big league. You haven't been at the big leagues for a long time. You grinded it out in the minors for a while. And I want to take it back to that. I want to, and nobody grinds it out more than in the New York Penn League. So let's take it back to the New York Penn League <laughs> days where we freaking grinded it out there and played in an all-star game together. What? Because one of my biggest takeaways from professional baseball was my first road game. And it was in the New York Penn League at Vermont, the Vermont Lake Monsters. Did you oh. ever play there? Uh, yeah, I did. It's a dirt. The uh, one, the locker room is literally on on dirt. That was my like welcome to pro baseball moment, and I'm like, oh god, this is gonna be a freaking grind. The New York Penn League is a grind. It is, and also I didn't know what shower shoes were, so that was that was interesting because at Vandy we kept everything so clean ourselves. Like Corbs made us learn how to take care of everything, so like. We would vacuum things. We would clean everything. So everything was like pristine. It was like nicer than being at home. And so we didn't have to wear <laughs> shower shoes. We could just walk around barefoot because you could eat off the floor. And then I get to <laughs> a place like Vermont and they're like, they're like, I forgot my shower shoes too. Cause I wasn't used to it. And they're like, Hey, like, you know, here's your shower shoes. And I'm like, what do I need shower shoes for, man? Like, what are you talking about? And then I saw the showers for the first time and, got to Vermont and I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> hey, can I, can I borrow somebody's shower shoes real quick? I forgot mine. Seriously. You get out, you oh, get out bad. of the shower dirtier than you got in. Like you're just walking around on, on dirt. And for me, that was my first yep. road game. You actually didn't have it bad. Cause you were with the Orioles organization at the time and down in Aberdeen, y'all's facility was awesome. But was you great. get up there in Vermont yeah. and man, it all, it all turns around very quickly. It got, it got, it got tough there quick. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a little um, New England loving for you, you know, tough New England yeah, people. Exactly. But <laughs> but like I know you were you were teammates with Trey Mancini uh, years ago with them. And he's been on this show. Uh, like you said, we all need to make a trip to the Mohegan Sun, the casino there in Norwich, Connecticut, yes. where, where I was. And we need to just we just need to run. We just need to run Mohegan Sun for a few hours. I, I would love to. That I had some fun there. We had uh, we had that all star game banquet there. Mm hmm. And I think there was there was probably three or four of us that were hanging out. That's where I learned to play craps, you know. So I've got oh, yeah. a a special place for the Mohegan Sun um, <laughs> Casino in my heart, you know. Just a lot, a lot of love for it. All right, that's where you learn to play craps. Now I need your best crap story. What's your best crap story you have? Um, I actually think that was my best crap story because I randomly walk like literally was just walking by the craps table and kind of like leaned on the table and i'm like just looking around trying to figure out what's going on i had no idea and this old man is sitting there and he's like hey why don't you why don't you play table's hot and i'm like i don't know what that means sir <laughs> I, I, I was like i was like is that good or bad and so he he sit he kind of like sits down with me and he's like he's like i'll teach you how to play and so he starts going over like the odds and the numbers and saying, you know, if you bet $7 on the eight and the eights hit, you get $5 back. And I'm like, that makes no sense to me. Right. Like doesn't work. That's not how it's supposed to work. And so he's like, here, just do what I do. And so I sat down with the guy and just sat, didn't say a word to him the rest of the time. Just put my money right next to his and collected <laughs> money when he collected money. I won like 350 bucks and, being in the Penn League, I'm like, this is the greatest night of my life. Like, it's more than you make in a and month. And then we kind of, yeah. And so we kind of parted ways. Have you ever watched uh, New Girl? Yes. 
Love New Girl. So he kind of he kind of reminded me of uh, Nick's friend Tran. The yeah, the one that his, floats him around. His in friend the pool. that he meets in the park. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that he never that he never speaks until the end. So I felt like I felt like he was my Tran. He was just like, all right, just kind of fed me these chips and was like, here you go, have a great time. And we just never spoke a word again. And I was like, that's what it's all about, right there. <laughs> all right, so you uh, you didn't debut until you were 28, I believe. So you have. A long, you spend a lot of time in the minor leagues, as did I. And I ask everyone this question because baseball is very unique in that everyone experiences the minor league and everyone has stories from yep. along the way. So I need your best story from your minor league days, like one that one that'll stay with you forever. Oof, I've got a couple of them. Um... What kind of uh, what kind of rating do we want to go here? Do we want to go PG? Do we want to go PG thirteen? Uh, because I say, I've got I've got a give, good one. Give me your best one. That's all I'll say. If it's right. I don't care, just give it to me. So I'm I'm hurt for I sprained my ankle, and so I was getting treatment before the game, and I was kind of late to go out to the national anthem, and we were in. I think this was low A. This was like really really early in my career. So you're with the Orioles, and I'm running out there still? and. Yeah, I was with the Orioles. I think we were in Greensboro. Okay. I was in Del Mar, but yeah, it was. It was Greensboro. So we're running out. We're trying to like rush, and we get halfway out. Like, there's a little tunnel, and we get halfway through the tunnel, and there's tons of fans there, and they're doing the national anthem. So we stop for a second, and then the anthem finishes, and we're like in a rush. And this guy, this like 50 year old man, is leaning over, like these children and i'm like what is wrong with this guy and so it's me and like one of my best friends and so the guy's like yes yes can you sign this and i was like no i can't i have to go like the game's about to start and he goes, he leans over the railing over these six-year-olds and he goes just because you're carl yastrzemski's grandson doesn't give you the right to be a effing jackass <laughs> and i was just like oh my god <laughs> like and my buddy almost like he fell over laughing so hard. He's like, I couldn't believe somebody just said that. And, um, but people are ruthless in in terms of that stuff. But he was like, just like barreling these children. I'm like, man, this is just, this is wrong on so many levels, but it was so funny at the time. and just took me by so much shock that we couldn't do anything but laugh. <laughs> That's great. Um, one thing we share is a very, very unique last name that holds a lot of weight in the baseball world. And I know personally for me, um, there was a lot of pressure that came along with it, a lot of like feeling like I was never doing enough, like I always needed to do more to, to represent the last name and to live up to some sort of, you know, just not live in a shadow was, what is that like for you? Is it similar? What What has that pressure been like with you and being the grandson of Carl Yastrzemski? I think it's probably a little different just in the generational gap. You know, I think it was a lot tougher for my dad than it was for me. But in a sense, I never tried to emulate it because it's so ridiculous to be like, yeah, I want to have a 23-year career and be a Hall of Famer and have over 3,000 hits and over 400 home runs. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I could never look at myself in the mirror and seriously say that. So my um, my goals were usually really simple. It was like I want to I want to play in the big leagues for a day. And when things were going really tough in the minor leagues, 
um, it was a lot easier to lean on that than to lean on like, oh man, I'm not living up to a Hall of Fame career. Um, so I think I think I made it really simple for myself by saying like, I know I'm never going to be that good. Like that's that's something that like one out of every maybe a couple million people will, will be that good. You know, to yeah. be in the Hall of Fame is such a you know incredible thing, and obviously your brother will be there one day, but. I think it was probably a little tougher for you because of how close you were to him and in, in age and your relation in your relationship with him, obviously. So I think those things weigh on us heavier than, you know, for me where there's this like big generational gap where, you know, the kids that are watching us today probably have no idea who my grandfather is. <laughs> I would, I would <laughs> sure, I would sure hope they do, but yeah, that is, you know, it, it is being nine years. It, it's not a lot, but to the same you know what you just said he's a hall of famer it's tough to live up to that that's still like that's still what i get every single day to this point in my life every single day of my life you're oh well you're you're you'll never be as good i'm like yeah duh like of course i'm obviously i know that one one i grinded out in the minors for five years i'm done um but two i'm (laughs) fine with that he's one of the best of all time pitchers and i'm one for one with a homer off of him in my life so you know what I'll give him the better yeah. honor, but who's, I everything I need, I got. Who's really better? You know, that's who's, who's it's re- to be determined. Because have, I don't think it is to be determined. To be determined, though, to be honest with you, I, it already one, has been. We have yeah. one at bat of sample size in professional baseball and uh, deep center field, about four thirty. The it's mm. science; you can't argue it, right? So. Yeah, that's that's written in history. Yeah, so I, but you're right. the The relationship with with my brother and I is very close, and that makes it tougher. What is what's the relationship like with with your grandfather? It's good, you know. Actually, I've been I've been so lucky that he understands that I have my own career, and he's so invested in it, which is so cool. He watches every game, and That's he doesn't awesome. call me when I stink. He doesn't call me when <laughs> I play well. You know, he calls he he calls me when. Um, whenever he wants to talk. And I think that's really, really good for us because it doesn't have to be forced. It doesn't feel like he's telling me what to do. He's kind of said, he said it to me before. He's like, you know, I just want to take a step back and, and watch you and enjoy it. And I think that's really impressive and hard to do for someone of his stature in the game. You know, like he could very easily be calling me every day, telling me what I need to do, how to hit, how to play defense, how to do all this stuff, you know, try and talk to my managers because it'd be easy for him to do that, right. you know, but he's never, he's never done that once. And to, to have his knowledge behind me when I, when I really need some help or really need some advice has been great. It's hard for me to not be romantic about baseball. I love this game. It gives me chills all the time when cool things happen. And the year you made your debut, was one of the coolest things in my opinion when you went to Fenway and threw out the first pitch to your grandfather at Fenway Park. I, I got the goosebumps watching it, um, just knowing you and having been on the All-Star team with you and knowing how big of a moment that was and watching it. How awesome was that whole day and that whole experience for you? It was so wild. It was probably one of the coolest things I could ever do in my life. But like, I, I don't know if – has any – away player ever caught the first pitch like i don't know if they keep track of that or when it's happened how it's happened but like in my my mind i think that's i think that's the only time that that's ever happened and that was so cool to be playing essentially be playing catch with my grandfather at fenway 
because I'd never done that. You know, even when um, when I get to go to games with him and stuff like that, he would throw out the first pitch and I'd be standing there watching and then he'd go hop in the car and head home and I'd stay and watch the game. <laughs> so um, we never had like that type of moment before. And that was special. And I feel like I knew more people in the stands than I didn't, which was the craziest thing. It's like, I'd look up and I'd see somebody I knew from high school or somebody That's I knew so from cool. middle school. Um, so it was just the coolest experience and so grateful that I got to have it and couldn't believe it happened in my first season, which was crazy. Right. That makes it so cool. So you were, yeah. I mean, how often do you guys play in at Fenway? Like once every once, few years? Once every six years. Yeah. So, I mean, it was just, it was the writing on the wall. It was just one of those beautiful things <laughs> right. in baseball that like, yeah. like not to compare the two because it's two totally different things, but like Mike Piazza's home run after 9-11 was just meant to happen. And you playing at right. Fenway in your first year, one of every six years, to be able to, you know, have that first pitch experience with your grandfather. It was just, it was meant to happen. Um, I, I can't, I can't agree with you more. I think it, I think it was meant to happen and I'm super grateful for it. I know you said that you didn't feel, and he, he's really helped you not feel like a certain amount of pressure with this, but I know it has been a cool thing for you. And I want to, I want to talk about this. You, you've had a, you've had a good career. Um, your rookie year last year, was arguably an all-star type season. Obviously there was a lot at play there with COVID that we didn't have an all-star game. Um, Mm -hmm. You've been really good in your career and you've, you've created your own name for yourself. And it's cool for me to be able to say that because I know how much that means for me to be able to create my own name. And, and I want to know what it means to you. Like you've created, in my opinion, you are Mike Yastrzemski outfielder for the San Francisco giants. And when you first came up, you are Mike Yastrzemski, grandson of Carl. And not that you're not anymore, that means any less, but you've created your own name. And to me, it's pretty cool, and, and I'm pumped for you. How, how much does that mean to you? Uh, it means a lot. I mean, it's really hard to to be able to go out and create that one. That is such a big storyline. And, you know, I think that it's been a, a storyline my whole life, and it's been something that, um, I embraced and accepted. It was something that I never tried to run and hide from um, because we don't get to choose our names. We don't get to choose our families that we're born into and being able to accept those things and enjoy whatever comes with them is, is a really good thing for us to do. And so that's what I always did. But, you know, to, to hear people say that and to feel that love from the baseball community, from, from writers who have said the same thing, you know, it's been really special to, to feel like I truly made something out of my career, even if it were to, to end sooner than I'd ever wanted to, you know, it's cool to feel that and to feel accomplished. And now we can set our sights further and try and just help a team win a world series. Right. Yeah, man. I trust me. I get it. And it's really, it's really awesome. So I'm pumped for you. Um, and it's, it's really cool to see that. Um, all right. I ask everybody the same three questions. All right three career moment sort of questions. The first one would be, what is your, what was your welcome to the big leagues sort of moment that happened to you? Um, probably before I ran out on the field, the first time it was captain Brandon belt. You know, we, he's trying to lighten the mood and we're literally about to run out on the field and he goes, he goes, Hey kid. And I'm like two years younger than him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's like, don't screw anything up. And I'm like, oh, 
oh man like that just i was like all right don't screw anything up here we go that's all i was thinking about like running out on the field i was like all right this is great <laughs> all right uh so having week. the anxiety of that was just like ridiculous yeah rightfully so but you're also a 28 year old rookie but you are a rookie so it's like hey kid and it's like dude i'm yeah just, we're like the same age <laughs> exactly yeah that's the best part um Next is, what is your favorite best play that you have made to date on a baseball field, offensively or defensively? Um, man, that's tough, actually. I would say probably my homer at Fenway was just a, a moment I can't beat. Um, you know, even though it wasn't really significant in the game or a significant like wasn't a walk off, wasn't a diving catch to save the game. It was that homer at Fenway with so much family and friends around, and that was super special. That's awesome. For this last one, I need you to put yourself in the shoes, your commissioner of Major League Baseball for one day. Yep. What is one rule that you would take out or put in for the betterment of the game of baseball? Now, these rules have been all over the place from no universal DH2. We need dogs in the clubhouse at all times, therapy dogs. So they can be all over the place. So I need a good one from you. What is one rule as commissioner you would take out or put in? Um, mandatory Thursday off days every day. Every Thursday, you got to have an off day. I got to get my golf in. Um, I think that's fair. One day, one day a week. We know when it's coming every time. There's no there's no hesitation. There's no worrying like about that. what's, what's going to happen. And you can't put a rain game on there. Like you can't, you can't take the off day away. And right. Put a if it gets rained out there. Wednesday. It doesn't, it doesn't work like it. that. You can't push it. No, no, no. Can't take it later into the season. You get that Thursday off. I like that. How's the golf? Can't game? be Monday. Cause all, all the clubs are closed on Monday. So it can't be Monday. You know, I'd <laughs> like to make it Monday, but the golf game's okay. You know, it, it struggles a little bit during the season, but um, we'll get right back to it. And, in November and we'll be all set. All right. So before I let you go, you mentioned, you mentioned before we started a book about Shohei Otani. What is this about? Tell me about it. Uh, no, I just, I, I met you had your Shohei shirt on and I said, you could leave it on so we could bring up that I got him in the book. Um, no, I, I happened to hit a homer off him this year and it was actually one of my memorable moments in the big leagues. That was super cool. Cause he is, very easily made himself the face of baseball. Um, you know, it's incredible to watch him see what he's doing and to be able to perform so such an elite level on both sides. And I, I hit a homer off him this year. And for some reason it like, I had this joy in me where it was like, damn, I hit a homer off that guy. That's so cool. And just felt great about it. All right. So I got it. And you're going to love this. You hit a home run off of Shohei Otani. You mentioned mm -hmm. earlier your two people you got to meet, Mark Wahlberg, Tom Brady. Shohei Otani, who you just hit a home run off of, is was just named Time 100 Most Influential People of the Year with Tom Brady. So there's that connection. Ooh. So now I Perfect. feel like you're sort of like, I don't, you know, I feel like you could be on that list. I feel like, in my opinion, you're one of the Time 100 Most Influential <laughs> People of 2021 with Shohei and Tom Brady. Just because, just because of that homer, I'm I'm so locked in. I'm I agree with you wholeheartedly. I'm, I'm gonna ride that out. Start telling, I'm gonna go tell Belt that I'm on the hundred most influential people by Tom Magazine, <laughs> not him. 
But but seriously, talk a little <laughs> bit about Shohei Otani this year. I, I talk, obviously you've seen a lot about it, um, how much I talk about it, uh, but I feel like it's warranted, right? It's not hype. Like, that's real. It's, it's so real, and um, everybody wants his autograph when we go there. Everybody wants to, you know, see him or meet him or take a picture or whatever. Um, but I... I want him to start signing his name in Japanese more. Have you seen his Japanese signature? I have. It's I like have seen it's it, a, but I didn't know he it is a work ever. of art. It's like beautiful, and it's just one of those things that like I need to get it next time I I go over there. That was a mistake of mine, but um, he's just changed the game. I think he's made it so fun. Um, obviously, with him being from Japan, I think he's made it more international, and I think that people are paying attention to the game that haven't because of him and that's probably a lot to bear as a human being and you almost like feel bad that he may have to feel like he has to live up to that i hope he doesn't but it's really cool to see what he's doing and to to see the recognition that he's getting for all of his hard work you need you need that autograph in japanese you you need to that would be I, like <laughs> that is like story but that that's going to be really cool someday and you got it. Do you have yeah, your home run ball off him? Gonna, you got to get that back too. I I don't. I know that'd be cool, but <laughs> it's not one of those things that I like. I don't want it on like a bat or a ball. I want it on like a white linen sheet where I could just hang it up on my wall because it's that it's like that beautiful. And I'm just gonna give you one more thing to love Shohei about that. His autograph is a piece of art. You know, I I just got this recently when I went to I went to an Angels game and they gave me a Shohei Otani blanket something they gave away a while ago. So you know what? I could give that to you and you could get his autograph on a big gigantic blanket. <laughs> you, could hang that, you could hang that up somewhere. Hang your big Shohei blanket on my wall. <laughs> uh, dude, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Uh, we got it. Me, you, Trey, uh, and some of the Vandy guys that I played with at the Tigers. We got to get back together and like do a Mohegan Sun trip. We really got to make that happen. I'm in. Let's do it. All right, man. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Congrats on the success y'all are having this year. Go in a World Series, and thanks for coming on. Come back on whenever you want, dude. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. All right. See ya. All right, and I wanted to thank Mike Yastrzemski again for joining me. What an absolute legend he is. The Giants, they're the best team in baseball this year. Why? Well, we got to hear from him. What's going on in that clubhouse? What's going on on the field? So thanks again, Mike, for joining me. But now it is time to get into my favorite segment. I got the shirt back on. We're ready to roll this week in Shohei Otani news presented by Mattress Firm. So talk to an expert and unjunk your sleep today. I have, I promise you, you will not regret it if you make the switch. But let's get into it. This week in Shohei Otani news, I'm going to talk about why he's not hitting as many bombs. I'm going to talk about his dominant outing on the mound this week, and I'm going to talk about an honor he got that is very, very special. So let's get into it, and let's start with that outing he had on the mound against the Oakland A's. He's back. He took a little bit of time off. I was getting a little worried that we wouldn't see him pitch again this year. To be honest, I was really worried we wouldn't, wouldn't see him back on the mound this year, but he came back. And you know what I thought at first? I thought, we probably won't see him throw very long. He, he's probably not going to be able to throw many pitches. He went out there, and he dominated for eight innings. 108 pitches, eight innings pitched, 10 strikeouts. What an outing. 
You know, I was I was locked in on this game. Obviously, I was watching him pitch. Uh, I was locked in, and the eighth inning comes around, and he gets into some trouble. And this is where I thought for sure he was going to get pulled. He gets into trouble. Um, he gets the, he hits a guy. The bases are loaded. I thought for sure Joe Madden was coming out and pulling him. But you know what? It didn't happen. He trusted his guy. He let him stay out there. And Shohei threw the nastiest splitter to strike out the guy to get out of the bases loaded jam in the eighth inning that I have seen him throw in a long time. We've talked about that splitter. It is the best pitch in baseball this year, and it has been since he came into the league. Nobody hits it, and that one was disgusting. So what a, what a great outing. It was really cool to see that because we're getting later in the year. He hadn't pitched in a little while because of his little arm soreness. Um, the hitting has, you know, he's slowed down. Not as many bombs happening. It's late in the year. This guy's done a lot. Let's give him some slack. Let's cut him a break. Then he goes out on the mound and he throws eight innings, 108 pitches, and quiets a lot of the doubters saying, you know what, this has been a long season. What an awesome season, but, you know, I get it. Nope. Goes out, eight innings, dominates against the A's. I was worried he was going to get the loss, but he didn't. The team comes back, scores some runs. He gets the no decision on the day. And one thing I found interesting was his post-game interview, where he talked about just how much and how important pitching is to him. He said, I want to be pitching next year and beyond. So this whole experience from this year is going to help me down the road. Which was cool to hear. But this next part was important, I thought. It's been hard to keep the motivation up being out of the playoff race like this. Which coming from Shohei is, is a powerful statement. And it's true. We, we all see it. Games don't mean anything for them. They're not playing for anything. They don't have... He doesn't have Mike Trout out there. The team's a shell of what we thought they were going to be. They're under 500. they They're not playing good baseball. It matters, guys. I promise you. Take it from me. I was in a clubhouse for five years professionally. When you're not playing good baseball, it is hard to stay motivated. It is hard to go out there and do your best because where things become better for you and where you can perform your best is when you're going out competing. Not when you're thinking about everything that you're personally doing, when you're competing and you're trying above all else to win games for your team. So they're not in the playoff race, and he admitted it's been tough to stay motivated. But what a dominant outing on the mound. But let's talk a little bit about his hitting. And it's no secret he hasn't been hitting as many home runs as he was in the first half. To start the second half, we've seen his home run lead get smaller and smaller, and then we've seen him overtaken by Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Salvador Perez. What's going on? What's happening? Well, a few things, in my opinion. One, the guy doesn't see any strikes. And I, I mean none. The, the lowest strike percentage in baseball. He just doesn't get many strikes when he's at the plate. So then, you move on to that. He's not getting many strikes. He keeps walking. I was watching his game the other day. He was 0 for 0 with two walks in like the seventh inning. They, they were intentionally walking him. He has no help around him. I can't stress how important that is. You guys may think, oh, well, you know, everybody else, you know, it's not a big deal for other players. Salvador Perez, who's not on a good team, has Andrew Benintendi behind him? And you may be saying that's not a big name. He, the guy's hitting almost 280 this year with a bunch of homers. He's having a good year. He's good protection for Salvador Perez. Okay? So he has protection. And then you want to talk about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. 
Oh, it doesn't matter who's around him. He, his whole lineup is stacked. You got Marcus Simeon. You got Bo Bichette. You got a bunch of guys that are capable of hitting the ball out of the yard. A bunch of guys that are having fantastic years. Marcus Simeon is arguably having an MVP year. The guy's going to be in the top five easy of the MVP conversation. So you want to talk about protection. You got it with them. Shohei Otani is the one guy in that lineup that you can't let beat you. And teams aren't. They're not letting him win. They're not letting him beat them. And it becomes tougher and tougher. He knows he's the guy in that lineup. He knows he's getting pitched tough. So his thing is, one, he's not getting strikes. And two, he's struggling. He's, he is chasing more pitches. He's not seeing many strikes, and he's chasing them. He's pressing. He wants to do well. He wants to hit homers. He swings at those balls because he's not getting strikes to swing at. Take a look at a tweet I saw this past week. Shohei Otani has 128 hits this season. Most by a player with at least 20 games pitched since Dave Fouts had 156 base hits for the, get this, the Brooklyn Bridge Grooms of the American Association in 1888. So yeah, he's struggling a little bit at the plate. He's not getting many pitches. He's walking a lot. He's swinging at some balls. He's pressing. But when I say this MVP race is locked up, it's for everything that has happened this year. It's for the start he had on the mound earlier this week that I talked about. It's for the 40-plus bombs he has on the year that have never happened before from a pitcher, ever. Stats like this. The, bri- the, the, the bridge grooms. The Brooklyn bridge grooms. You all know them, right? No. The bridegrooms. <laughs> exactly. We don't know who they are. It's the bridegrooms. He hasn't done it. This hasn't been done since 1888. I mean, that's why, everyone. That's why he's the MVP. So, yeah, it's slowed down on the offensive side. The bombs have slowed down. He's just getting walked. I hate seeing it. I called it right after the All-Star break when he started getting walked and walked and walked, and then it was realized Mike Trout's not going to come back. There's no protection. This guy's going to get walked all year long, and he has been. But make no mistake about it, he's the MVP, specifically because of stats like this. Dave Fouts, the bridegrooms, 1888. That's the last person that did what Shohei Otani's doing. I mean, come on. I, I get the argument. I get the argument. Yeah, Vlad could win the Triple Crown. The last Triple Crown in Major League Baseball was in 2012. This has never been done. Let's talk about the pitching. Eight innings. We, we just forget when we look at, we, we like to just compare the offensive seasons. We forget what's going on on the pitching side, and it's absolutely incredible. He has transformed the game of baseball. He has changed the game of baseball for the better. He has done so much for the sport, and he has done so much for, to, to bring a different culture to baseball. He's done so much for, for the world, which leads me to this honor that he was given last week. And, and when I say honor, I truly mean an honor. Shohei Otani was named the Time 100, one of the most 100 most influential people in the world. In the world this past week. He's on the list with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. He's on a list with, with Britney Spears, with Naomi Osaka. With Tom Brady's on this list. 
But there's no baseball players. It's just him. Because what he's doing is so special. I've been talking about it all year, but people like to compare offensive numbers. No, no, no. This is way bigger than that. This is way more important than that. He is doing so much for the game of baseball. He is doing things that have never been done before. He's having a great offensive year. He's having a great year pitching. He's having a great year in more ways than one. And being named one of the time 100 most influential people in the world for 2021 is just one of the many, many titles he's going to rack up this year. And this one is really cool. And this one is very, very special. And just one of the reasons that he is hands down the MVP, despite not hitting as many homers, despite not getting his ba- on base as much, despite getting a ton of walks, despite, despite pitching great, this is why. All these reasons combined is why Shohei Otani is the MVP. And that does it for this week in Shohei Otani news. Let's get into the Twitter poll that has a little bit to do with Shohei Otani. We asked you guys at Flippin' Bats Pod on Twitter this week. So if you do not follow at Flippin' Bats Pod, please do it. You can be involved in the poll that we talk about on the show, and you can be involved in this show. This week's question, who's going to finish the season with the most home runs? Who's it going to be? We gave you three options. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Salvador Perez, Shohei Otani. I guess there were four options. Someone else. It's not going to be someone else. That's why you guys gave it 2.3%. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. won the poll with 47.2. Shohei Otani came in second with 40.1. And Salvador Perez with 10.4. Look, for Shohei, to, for Shohei to win this, it's going to be miraculous. He's just not getting pitched to. That's a huge reason for it. But I don't want to diminish what Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is doing by any means. We need to talk about it, and I totally agree that he's going to finish this season with the most home runs. It is it is special what this guy is doing at 22 years old. He got me thinking, like, this, this was something I was thinking about the other day, just sitting there watching the game. Do we think Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to have a better career than his dad? Maybe that can be a future question. So follow Flippin' Bats Pod on Twitter. All right, so we talked about it off the top. We're heading down the stretch. Things are getting intense. Playoff picture's shaping up. So what I wanted to do is get into some of the trade deadline, impactful trades that we saw. So it got me to thinking, I'm going to bring my producer Conrad out here, and I'm going to name the top five most impactful trades that I believe happened this season. So Conrad? All right, man. Let's start number five, Jorge Soler. Yeah, you know, Jorge Soler with the Royals this year was really underperforming. I mean, hitting 170, 192, 192 with the Royals. He goes to the Braves. He's hitting 276. He has 10 bombs. And the Braves have gone from a team under 500 that couldn't, couldn't climb over 500 to leading the division, and it looks like they're going to make the playoffs. So, look, is it, is it the, the most impressive numbers in the world? No, but is he, has he been super impactful in exactly what this team needed? Absolutely. So that's why I have him at number five. Number four, Jose Barrios. Yeah, I, I love what he's brought to this Blue Jays team. I always believed in this team. Their offense is, is their offense. It's one of the best in baseball. But what they needed was pitching. Behind Robbie Ray, friend of the podcast, nothing. Future Cy Young winner? Future Cy Young winner. Nothing, really. Nothing behind him. And they bring in a guy that's going to go out every fifth day. He's five and three with the team. 
with a 3.39 ERA, it's exactly what they needed. Somebody to go out every single fifth day and give them a chance to win the ball game. If you put, if you have a good start on the mound with the offense they have, that's that's game over. And and he's been he's been great for them. So and he's, he's there next year too, right? And he's there for another year, which was a huge part of the trade. They gave up a lot to get him, but he is under control for another year, which is huge. Love it. Number three, Trey Turner. I mean, that 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 pickup for the Dodgers was huge. He's hitting over 300 with them. He has a bunch of stolen bases. He plays a premier position. Um, what a great, what a great pickup! This team is going to be really good down down the stretch and in the playoffs. Yep, number two, that man Chris Bryant. Yeah, I I love this pickup. You know, he's he's hitting over 280 with the Giants. He's got seven bombs for them. But when I look at when I when I look back now at the trade deadline and look at what team needed needed something, this was the perfect fit. Chris Bryant grew up a Giants fan. He just seems like a Giant. Chris Bryant the Giant. <laughs> Chris Bryant. Is Chris Bryant going to be on the Giants next year? Yeah, I think he is forever. Oh. I think Chris Bryant is there to stay. Um, and, and you put him in the lineup, he hits almost 290 with seven bombs. They needed just that jolt of, of offense in the middle of that lineup, and he has been exactly that. And this team is, is the best team in baseball. All right, which comes to number one, Max Scherzer. Yeah, this this has been nothing short of incredible. He has been nothing short of incredible. 7-0, a 0.78 ERA, 79 strikeouts, and 7 walks. A whip of 0.65. I mean, this is incredible for sure. Easy. This was easy. An easy number one who has been the most impactful. He's, he's lights out. He is lights out. He hasn't lost, and he's hardly giving. He's giving up less than a run per nine innings. That is insane. It is the best, most impactful trade of this season, and in my opinion, this is one of the most impactful trades of all time, Conrad. I, I really believe that, and and that kind of got me to thinking who, who are some of the most impactful trades of all time? I wanted to do this season, and Max's numbers got me to thinking, man, this is up there all time. So I did just that. I thought of who were the most, who were some of the five most impactful trades of all time. So I gave you those as well. Yeah, let's get into it. We're going to start with Randy Johnson in 1998. Yeah, so these are in no particular order. Just uh, trades that were made at the trade deadline that guys just went on to have Max Scherzer-esque rest of the season. So Randy Johnson in, in uh, yeah, 98 was 10-1, and one, a 1.28 ERA. Had 116 Ks in 84 innings. He made 12, he made 11 starts for the Astros after that trade. He gave up 12 runs and 11 starts. I mean, great. Just great. Yeah, he ended up winning quite a few Cy Youngs after that year, too. Yeah, he wasn't a bad pitcher. Next up, we're going to go to CC Sabathia, 2008. Yeah, when I think about most impactful trades, this is like, for me, this is one of the ones that comes to mind like people don't people don't think of cc as a brewer they see the indians and yankees yep you don't think about that that one playoff race he went to the brewers and he was incredible he threw 130 innings in 83 days he was there for 83 days and threw 130 innings seven complete games three of them were complete game shutouts what that is mind-blowing. A 1.65 ERA with the Brewers. Seven 
complete games, and three of them were shutouts. Just incredible. Yeah, he was tremendous. Uh, 2008, Manny Ramirez. Yeah. So I've always known Manny Ramirez, in my opinion, is one of the best right-handed hitters of all time. Yeah. You look at the numbers. Um, but what ended up happening with him his last few days in, in Boston was it, it, it wasn't pretty. You know, it, he, he had this weird injury thing going on. It was Manny being Manny. But then Manny goes to Hollywood, to Mannywood, as it was dubbed, as the Dodgers are going into the playoffs. What did he do? He hit 396 in 53 games. 396. Pretty good. Not bad. Pretty, pretty good. And then they go into the playoffs. He hits 520 in the playoffs. Are you kidding me? 520. So Manny Ramirez comes over in 2008 and he just literally he just tears the cover off the ball. 17 bombs in those 53 games. Hit almost 400. I mean nobody's nobody's been more impactful than that on the offensive side. I would argue there was no one better to watch in baseball at that time, too. Manny being Manny was one of my favorite things. Oh, my God. He's one of the best hitters of all time. But you also got a, a lot more than just his on. You got the off the field and in the monster antics. Watching him play in the outfield. Tremendous right. content. Beautiful. <laughs> Next up, Aroldis Chapman, 2016. Uh, yeah, this one. I, this one probably comes to mind for a lot of people. He goes over to the Cubs um, and just dominates uh and i think this one even more so because they went on to win the world series and he's such a vital part in in that team's history and, and in that team's postseason run um, but he goes over and has a 1.01 era 46 k's in 26 innings um dominant at the back end yeah but but the reason he's here is because he went they, they went on to win the world series and mm -hmm. he got he you know he was on the mound that last game it's just all of those reasons. He was he couldn't have been more dominant. But they also went on to win the World Series. So there's you can't get more impactful than that. You you dominated and your team won a World Series because of you. And then you're out. Like you're in, you pitch great, you win a World Series, you're out. So that's why he's here. Yep. And then you might know this last one, uh, Justin Verlander, 2017. Yes, yes. Justin <laughs> Verlander. Uh, I'm a, I, I'm familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Look, my brother's season in, in 2017. Um, I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember that that trade happening. I remember that night. It was an emotional night for my family. Um, it was it was not an easy night. Um, and you know he had a full full no trade clause, so it's kind of like do we do we do this or do we not? And he ends up going there, um, and and did pretty well. He did pretty well. He gets there. He has a 1.06 ERA. Now he was part. They don't have this anymore. But he was traded. Um, not not in the July trade deadline, but in the waiver deadline that happens a month later. So he was actually traded at the end of end of August. He goes five and zero while he's there. Thirty four innings pitched, forty three Ks, a one point zero six ERA. Now, the reason I I wanted to do all of these was Max Scherzer got me thinking because he's having argue, like he's arguably in this conversation. It, it's been absurd. Max had a zero point has a 0.65 whip with the Dodgers. My brothers in 2017, 0.64. Explain the significance of that. So whip is walks and hits in innings pitch. So how many guys are getting on base in an inning? If, I get, if, if I'm pitching an inning and I give up one hit in the entire inning, my whip is one. One person got on base. If I give up a hit and a walk, it's a two. 
So walks and hits per inning pitched. So less than a one is nobody getting on, like a, a one is one person getting on base in the entire inning. A 0.64 is almost half of that. So, so players were getting on base basically once every other inning, which is <laughs> absurd. So, yeah, uh, I can't have this list without having my brother on this list. Um, so, yeah, kudos to Max Scherzer for being the most impactful trade at the trade deadline this year and, and one of the most of all time. Uh, and that just got me to thinking of, of five of the, the greatest of all time. So, Conrad, thanks for coming out and helping me with this segment. Uh, but let's move on to some extra innings before we head out today. I got two extra innings for you. Not one, but two. First off is going to be the Houston Astros the other night with the most heads-up play I have seen on a baseball field in a, in a long, long time. I actually haven't, I actually haven't seen this done, what happened. So let me, let me set the scene a little for you here. Less than two outs, um, ball hit to the outfield, runner on second and third. Yuli Gurriel uh, tags up from third and scores. Kyle Tucker tags up from second and heads to third. What happened here is it it looked like Yuli left a little early. So they could have appealed, thrown to third, Yuli's out, run doesn't count. Okay, that's what happened. So the, the heads-up play that happened here comes from the third base coach, I believe, who's right on top of it. Um, so what happened is Kyle Tucker's standing on third base. The Diamondbacks are getting ready to appeal to third to get Yuli Gurriel, who they believe left early, to appeal. And apparently the third base coach thought he was going to be called out. So what happens? He tells Kyle Tucker to leave early. So they're in the middle of the appeal, but Kyle Tucker takes off. So the pitcher steps off, as you're supposed to. You have to do it during a live ball. That's the big thing here. You have to appeal during a live ball. So the pitcher, ball gets put back in play. Pitcher steps off, throws to third. Kyle Tucker takes off. So they run after him. The second they run after him, you can no longer appeal. You cannot appeal that play anymore. So as long as if there is an attempted play after something happens, you can appeal. So Kyle Tucker takes off um, and then gets in a rundown, and they end up tagging him out, but the run scores. Manager comes out. What happened? How Can we not appeal? No, you can't appeal. So, so what ends up happening here is this is a super heads-up play, and it's almost taking advantage of a rule, that, a rule in Major League Baseball. There's really not much the Diamondbacks could do. There really isn't. Human nature takes over. You go after him. Okay, this guy's taking off to home. I have to get him out. They tag him out. You can't appeal. The only thing that they can do, I, I heard a lot about this play, but I want to talk before I move on about what you could do as the Diamondbacks, okay? The pitcher should step off and run and, and go towards Kyle Tucker and basically walk him back to the bag and step on the base and say, you know, and, and the appeal could happen that way. If Kyle Tucker just stands there, then... You throw it to third real quick, get the appeal done, and then you can get Kyle Tucker out. It's, it's a fiasco. The, the rule's probably going to change. And, and this was a super, super heads-up play by the Houston Astros, by Kyle Tucker, by the third-base coach who said before this happened to him in the minor leagues, and that's how he knew about it. 
this happened against him in the minor leagues. So what a what a cool play. We don't see stuff like this. You watch baseball long enough, you're going to see stuff that that you never see all the time. So really cool play by the Astros. Super heads up. Um, baseball IQ on 100, as I said in my tweet. We're moving on to the second extra inning. Salvador Perez. I can't not talk about Salvador Perez. We just had Nicky Lopez on last week who talked about how impressive this season is, his work ethic, how he goes out there every single game, how if it wasn't for a little stomach virus he had, he would have played 162 games. As a catcher, that is unheard of. But what Salvador Perez did this week was he broke the all-time single-season home run record for a catcher, breaking Johnny Bench's record of 45 homers in a season. He broke it, and he is now the all-time single-season record holder. Absolutely incredible season, and really cool to have Nicky Lopez on last week to talk about how much goes into it for him. He's not just going out every day and hitting bombs. There's a lot that goes into it, and I promise you, I've seen it. As a catcher, it takes so much more. Catching is the hardest thing to do on the body. It is the hardest position to play. To be able to go out there every single day is miraculous. So kudos to him for the season he's having. But most importantly, congratulations for breaking Johnny Bench's record and becoming the all-time single-season home run record leader for uh, home runs by catcher in a single season. And that does it for this week's Flippin' Bats. Make sure you're subscribed everywhere on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, just stop, hit five stars, leave a little comment, super easy and very, very helpful. So please do that. And again, if you're not following on our social medias, Twitter, Flippin' Bats Pod, Instagram, Flippin' Bats Pod, YouTube, Flippin' Bats Pod, where the episode comes out via video. So check all of those out. Uh, and I appreciate you all for listening and see you next time on Flippin' Bats. It's a blowout. It's an intense Bases are loaded for Verlander, who waits out for real pitch. He swings and it's a high fly ball. Deep center field. It is gone. Home run. And a huge bat flip to celebrate.